Well, good morning. It's good to see you all. And once again, thank you to our music team for leading us in song. And I want to begin today with a question. Have you ever looked at something and thought, what's the point of that thing? Maybe you're working on a car and it had some weird part that was designed goofy, or maybe you're looking through that stack of accessories that comes with your vacuum cleaner, and you're just wondering, what is the use of this thing? And maybe it's even worse than useless. Maybe it's something that's getting in your way of trying to accomplish what you want to accomplish, and so you want to take it off. You want to throw it away. You want to get rid of this pointless part. That's all well and good if it's a goofy upholstery attachment for your vacuum cleaner. But what if we start to look at the church and think about it in similar terms? In 1853, a bombshell dropped on the world of science. You can probably guess what it was. Charles Darwin published his work on the origin of the species, and almost overnight it suddenly became intellectually credible to look at the world through godless eyes. If the world and all it contains are no longer a part of the work of a wise God with a perfect design, then all bets were off. Everything was open for questioning. And one of the fields of study that was heavily impacted was the study of the human body. In 1895, Robert Wiedersheim something, published his influential work, The Structure of Man, And in this book, he abandoned the idea that human beings are particular creations of God and instead assumed that we're the end of a long chain of evolutionary adaptations guided only by blind environmental pressures. And what was the result of looking at the body that way? Well, it was this list. You can copy that down in your notes if you'd like. 86 body structures that he believed were evolutionary leftovers, either completely useless or at least so reduced in function that they were not particularly helpful to the human body any longer. He would later actually balloon that number out to 180. And guess what? If you go through medical school today, you will not be given a list of 180 useless structures in the human body, 180 vestigial organs. Over time, that number has been whittled down and down and down and down as medical science keeps discovering new functions of the human body and the importance of every part of it. It is still common to see in elementary textbook a list of seven vestigial organs, but many in science are doubting even that and and finding important functions of even those body parts like the tonsils and the appendix. What's the point? When we look at the body and we forget that it is designed and put together by God, it becomes very easy to erroneously devalue and judge the members of the body. And we can even come foolishly to the conclusion that some parts of the body are useless and unnecessary to the proper functioning of the whole. And that's exactly what Paul is warning against when we look at the church Is the church an organization that has evolved beyond the usefulness of many of its members? Do we only need the specialists and the experts now? Or is every part in place for a reason and to be valued? And so with that in mind, I would invite you to take your copy of God's Word to read our text for today. 
We're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We'll be reading verses 20 to 27, but I actually want to back all the way up to verse 18, a couple of verses earlier, and get a running start at it. So if you have your copy of God's Word, I'd invite you to stand to honor the reading of God's Word. We'll be looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and begin in verse 18, though our text this morning will begin in verse 20. Verse 18 says this, But now God has placed the members, each one of them in the body, just as he desired. If they were all one member, where would the body be? But now there are many members, but one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we deem less honorable, on these we bestow more abundant honor, and our less presentable members become much more presentable, whereas our more presentable members have no need of it. But God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to that member which lacked so that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are Christ's body and individually members of it. Would you pray with me? Father, we come this morning as the gathered church, and we do so recognizing that we are indeed Christ's body and you have made us to be so. And so individually we desire that our hearts would present to you a heart of worship that is acceptable to you, but not just individually, but we pray that as a church we would collectively be before you the body of Christ that you have called us to be, walking in holiness, loving Christ, and carrying out your will for us from the heart. We cannot carry this out on our own, and so we ask that your spirit would strengthen us and that you would direct us so that our wills and our affections and our actions would all be pointed in one direction to the glory of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, even looking at the title for our message this morning, you can see I, the goal is that we would be strengthened in our understanding of our identity as Christ's body. That is, after all, as we've been saying, what we are. And if we are his body, then there is no room for looking down on any member of that body as less important or less necessary. Paul's going to chain a number of ideas together this morning to make that point. He's going to show us how our individual commitment to being part of this one body should lead inevitably to a mutual honoring of one another. And that our mutual honoring of every member of the body of Christ will produce true Christian unity. And that that true Christian unity, when lived out through love, will be the essence of what a healthy body is. That's what he's going to try to chain together for us this morning. And I think we can organize that thought around two realities that are to always be present in Christ's body that Paul is highlighting here in the first, begins there in verse 20, that in Christ's body, which we are all a part of, no member is despised. No member is despised. Look at verse 20. But now there are many members, but one body. Paul is now flipping around and giving us a different perspective by using 
Very similar language to what he used back in verse 14. If you look back a few verses in verse 14, Paul says, For the body is not one member, but many. And now in verse 20, he says, But now there are many members, but one body. And I think he's trying to address a central division in the church from the perspective of two different kinds of people. Last week, we were looking at this issue from the perspective of those who were probably feeling left out, who questioned their place in the body. And this is not too surprising that there would be those kind of people in a church like Corinth, a church that was full of the intersection of so many classes and distinctions in society. You can imagine if you came to that church and, and you looked around, you saw all the wealthy people. You were meeting in one of their houses probably, probably, and you were coming from the poor part of town. You might wonder, do I have any resources that this church really needs? Or, or perhaps you're illiterate and you're there among the scholarly of the town that have come to Christ. And you're wondering, what is it that I could think or that I could know that could be a contribution to the life of the body? Or you're there on, in church on Sunday and there's people prophesying and speaking in tongues and you say, I have... I have no miraculous sign gift. What do I add that's going to make this church any more impressive? Who am I? Does the body really need me? And the answer last week resoundingly was yes. You are needed in the body and you are placed right where you are in the body by the designer of the body himself. And I hope that message came across loud and clear to all of us. Every Christian, by virtue of being a Christian, by having put their faith in the work of Jesus Christ, has been made a part of the body of Jesus. And we each have a place then in that body and a responsibility to fulfill in that body by the one who designed the body. This week, Paul is now flipping around to address those upper crusty types who are perhaps feeling pretty impressed with themselves. Of course I have an important role in the body. I speak in tongues. I prophesy. I'm rich. I'm smart. The body needs a lot of people like me. And none of those welfare class spiritual people over there. And Paul's going to say, sit down, kids. (laughs) There is no such thing in the body of Christ. And he's once again going to use the picture of the human body to demonstrate just how silly, just how evil that kind of thinking is in the church. Look at verse 21. Paul says this, and the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. A couple more just sort of humorous, obvious examples from the human body. But you can see why an eye might not perceive much use for the hand. You can see why the head might not think a foot is doing it a lot of good. Has your eyeball ever woke up in the morning and said, I could really use a knuckle? Right? Has your head ever said, man, if I could just swap an ear for a foot? Those organs may not see immediately the direct need for their function and their use of the other parts of the body and be tempted thereby to see those other body parts as unnecessary. But this kind of thinking we can all plainly see is wrong, both when you think about your human body and when we think about the church. Because that kind of thinking does not actually describe the reality of either the body or the church. And to help us recalibrate our understanding of this, Paul's going to give us a couple actual truths about the body And the first is in verse 22 there where Paul shows us power doesn't equal priority. Whether in the body or the church, power does not equal priority. 
Going on, verse 22 there, On the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. So here's how the body really works. If you were to order the members of your body in the order of power and and ability to get things done, you're going to see a few parts that just kind of inevitably float to the top, right? Your your legs, maybe your arms, your six-pack abs, if you've got a strong back, right? There's, yeah, that's what's getting things done in your body. That's where the strong parts are, the powerful parts, the glorious parts. Do you know what's not going to ever make it close to the top of your list? your guts. And when Paul uses this phrase, the members of the body which seem to be weaker, he's using a phrase that was understood in that context to be typically referring to your guts. And it's a blunt comparison, but it's a keen observation. Is it actually possible for you to survive without legs or arms or even a six-pack ab or a strong back? Yeah. What's the survival rate of people with no guts? Had someone first service sitting over there who's like, a lot less. <laughs> True. <laughs> Here's the thing. In a body, there are going to be members in that body who are obviously flexing some muscle. There are those who are going to be clearly strong and effective in ministry as viewed from the outside. That's just a fact of bodies. But it is also the case that the life and the health of a body or of a church rests often on those who seem externally to be weakest. And Paul's reminding them this is true everywhere you look in creation. Here's the principle. We do not evaluate the priority of a member based on the obvious externally visible power of that member. This is like those who try to catalog the supposedly vestigial organs of the human body because they look at something. They can't see what power it's exerting. They don't understand its function and therefore they conclude that it's useless. No, instead, and this is important for us to remember The presence of a member establishes the importance of that member because we know each and every one is only present as a result of the will of the one who created the body. How do we know a member is important to the body? Because Jesus Christ brought that person to saving understanding, made them one of his children. Well, Jesus' brother, God's child, and made them a part of the church. And that's how you know they're important. If you're a Christian, you're an important part of the body by definition. And this applies not only to the perception of relative strength or weakness, but it also applies to the apparent honor or visibility of the members of the body. And that's what he goes on to discuss there in verses 23 to 24. And those members of the body which we deem less honorable, on these we bestow more abundant honor. And our less presentable members become much more presentable, whereas our more presentable members have no need of it. So another way in which the body can despise its own members is by evaluating worth, not just on the basis of obvious power, but on the basis of visibility or prominence. Those members that have those positions, they must be more important, right? And members that you would never see, that you don't actually have any visible contact to, 
they're, they're useless, right? Well, once again, that's not how your body works. It's not how my body works, and it's not how the church should work. When Paul uses the descriptions here, less honorable and less presentable, he's using euphemisms for what we would normally call our private parts today. And if it feels like he just got up in your personal space, he did. And I think he's doing it on purpose because he's trying to make the Corinthians see something important here. There are parts of our body that are dishonorable to parade around in public. There are parts that are, to use his language, not presentable in public. But here's the question. Is that because that reduced visibility, is that because those are dishonorable parts of our body? Or is it because those are parts that have been reserved for particular honor that isn't for the public? Should we attack, despise, diminish, or neglect those parts of our bodies? We shouldn't. Instead, it's usually the case, Paul notes, that we bestow extra honor on these parts of our body. In fact, the word he used about having more abundant honor and about being more presentable, they're words that in the original have, have the meaning of to wrap around with. And so Paul's describing how when we wake up in the morning, you might look at your face and say like, okay, I'm just going to stick this out there in public and hope for the best. But there are parts of your body that make you go to your closet and sort through your clothing and pick out particular garments and adorn yourself with extra honor for those very parts of the body that nobody's going to see. Paul says that's how it is in the church as well. And as a side note, that's why it is sad when you see this basic reality either abused in one of two ways in the culture or in the world or sometimes in the church. I've often heard the charge levied against the church, but I don't think I've actually often seen it be the case that because the church still honors the fact that there are parts of the body that are not for public display, then that means that we believe those parts of the body are somehow bad, wrong, or to be ashamed of. Paul's making the exact opposite point. It's also sad when you see people who are afraid that diminished visibility equals diminished honor, therefore react by treating every part of the body exactly the same and putting out there in public what ought to be shameful to so expose. Different parts of the body are different and have different kinds of honor that is meant to be expressed in different ways of honor, but are all honorable. And that is true whether it is in our modest attire or whether it is in the functioning of the church as a body. Bottom line, those parts of the body that have more obvious visibility and honor need to be careful that they do not think more highly of themselves than they ought to. Everybody can see me. So what? So what? What does that fact mean? that you're a part of the body that's supposed to be out there in the public. And conversely, those who do not have such a visible role in the, in the life of the body are not by that any less honorable or necessary. Most people don't even know I'm serving. Hardly anybody can see me. I must not be important. Untrue. Untrue. And that is the point that Paul is emphasizing and driving home there in the last half of verse 24 when he says, but God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to that member which lacked. 
like that word composed. It has the idea of something mixed together to form a harmonious whole. It can be used of like a pharmacist mixing all of his chemicals and stuff together to make his medicine or of a musician mixing notes together to make a song. It's taking all these different parts and putting them together and not producing chaos. It's not just a random jumbling of things with no order and no purpose, nor is it a mixing of things until all you have is just one flavor of vanilla left and everything looks the same, but it's mixing them together until every part in its unique diversity and in its unique distinction, now constitutes one whole working together. And Paul says, God has done this in the body so that there are stronger and there are weaker and there are more visible and there are less visible parts. And he's put them all together in such a way that if there's going to be a surplus of honor, it's actually going to be in the direction you least expect it. It's actually going to work counterintuitively. And if we will understand that, then we can live that out in our body Because it gives us, when we come to the conclusion there, with the same basic principle that we saw in Paul's first application, just as your value in the body is not dependent on your strength, your value in the body is not dependent upon your visibility, your value in the body is dependent on the fact that you're a part of the body and that Jesus put you here. And that's it. And I think when we get this, two trends will be fended off that are always encroaching, it seems like, on the church. And the first is what you might call the ministry class system. And the second is one we mentioned last week, which is the experts-only approach to church. How many of you have kind of grown up with this notion that, that there's sort of like this corporate ladder of ministries in church? Right? You know, it's like a, if you're a baby Christian, nobody trusts you to talk to anybody yet without messing it up. We'll let you be a greeter. Like, just smile and hand out bulletins right? If you do that, okay. And we get confident enough in you, then you can take a step up the ladder. You could be an usher. We'll let you talk to people for short periods, but be careful. You don't say too much. Then if you've established that and we're, we're still doing good, you might be able to move up the ladder. Maybe you can work in the nursery. Now you can hold people, but only ones that can't talk. Then maybe you've grown to the point where people recognize, okay, we can trust you. You're demonstrating some strength, some visibility. We'll let you be a Sunday school teacher. Then maybe a life group leader. Then maybe a ministry overseer. Then maybe way up there at the top, a global outreach partner. I mean, How many of us have grown up just kind of envisioning that that's how the church works, that it's this hierarchy that we're trying to climb our way up through? And Paul's saying, that's not how the body works. There are two aspects of the church that the Corinthians kept trampling on. And in one case, they were obliterating a hierarchy that does exist. And the other is they were creating one that doesn't. Because there is a hierarchy of authority in God's church and the Corinthians wanted none of that. But there isn't a hierarchy of value in the church between the members and the ministries, and they did want that. They didn't want to have anybody that could tell anybody with any authority, this is what God has said, I don't want to do my own thing, but I do want the right to feel like I'm better than somebody else. Does that make sense? And so Paul in this letter is going to have to keep hammering on both those realities. God's authority is an established hierarchy, and it's good. But you cannot apply that to this idea that there is any difference in the value and the necessity of any part of the body. 
And we all need to treasure and honor what we all bring because otherwise we will all suffer. The ministry class system must not be allowed to be a part of Valley Bible Church's mentality. Otherwise, two things will happen. You'll have somebody in a ministry who's enjoying the ministry and gifted in the ministry and having fruit in their ministry and feeling guilty because I've been doing this for years and I'm not going up the ladder. Or you'll have people that are in a position of ministry and they will dare to look around at the rest of the body and think, ha ha, I, I win. I'm better than you. And neither of those realities are conducive with a healthy church that will long survive as an effective instrument for the kingdom of God. Secondly, there's the experts only approach. If I don't have a degree or formal training, I shouldn't be trusted with any important ministry. Church is where we come to get what we need from the experts, not try to get in their way because they're the important ones and we're just here to receive. That's so toxic. That mentality will just sap the church of all of its life because it will tempt every body part that isn't put up on a pedestal to think, I don't need to function. And that may be why so many churches are so anemic and on life support. It's because they're full of people who haven't been told the body needs you because you are the body. The church, like the body, needs all its organs organized into all of its different systems working together or the whole thing dies. If we understand this reality and live it out in the church, the result will be true Christian unity. Not the kind of unity you get when you have a power structure wrapped around a hierarchical ladder, right? Where you've just forced everybody to fit into their little spots and everything's under control. Not that kind of unity. The kind of unity that comes from people who value and honor one another and are living together in love. And that's what Paul's going to talk about as our second major observation this morning in verse 25 and following. In Christ's body, not only do we see that there is no member who is to be despised, but because of our mutual honoring of one another, our unity emerges as the very design of the body itself. Look at verse 25 there. So that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. And you're probably like me where you like it when you run across so that statements in the Bible. Right, you're reading and you're saying, okay, this is what it's teaching. What am I meant to get from this? What am I meant to take away from this? And then you find it. So that, ha ha, there it is. Big flashing neon sign pointing us to the purpose of scripture's teaching on a matter. And what we're seeing here is that the intended result of recognizing God's wisdom in structuring the body around all essential parts Diverse parts, but all essential parts. And his wisdom in spreading honor around, regardless of our differences, the intended result of that in two words is unity and love. Unity and love. So that there may be no division in the body. Unity. And that the members may have the same care for one another. Love. Think of how divided the church in Corinth was. Divided over things like which members were most important. I'm of Apollos. I'm of Paul. I'm of Cephas. Divided over spiritual giftedness. I can speak in tongues. Well, I can prophesy. I don't have any spiritual gift that I can see on the outside. So divided over class. 
Big feast before communion next week if you're wealthy. The rest of you figure it out in the cold outside. So divided over gender. Men are better. Women are better. We're all equal. We're all different. Is it any surprise that Paul keeps returning back to the theme of unity over and over again? And notice that he's doing it not by getting into these long, endless debates of the surface-level squabbles that have dominated this church's conversations, but he's dealing with it by getting down to the mistaken theology that's undergirding their broken thinking. Because if he can correct that, and if they will love the truth then the other problems will begin to solve themselves. If we recognize God's wisdom in the placing of each member in the body and affirm the honor due to each part, no matter what function that part has, then all of a sudden all these schisms and rifts just begin to heal up naturally. Does that make sense? Instead of all this fighting, you begin to hear, praise God for Paul and Apollos. Praise God for tongues and mercy. Praise God for rich and poor. Praise God for men and women. And in that context, they are then able finally to focus on how to best care for one another instead of judging one another, competing with one another, rejecting one another, being jealous of one another. It is a fact that everybody needs mutual care among its members in order to be healthy. Here's a little picture of a statue of a Roman dude with a a tool called a strigle. Wait for it. There it is. In the Roman world, this was your, your bath kit, right? You would go to the baths, you'd get all the hot water and do all this kind of stuff. And then you'd pull out your strigle and you'd start scraping all the junk off your body, right? It was as gross as you imagine. But this was high living back in the ancient world. Think about your back can be performing everything with full health and, and absolutely the best back you've ever seen functioning. But it's going to really begin to degrade over time if it doesn't get some help from the arms to just do basic hygiene maintenance, huh? Your back is designed to need help from other parts of the body just to maintain its good health even when nothing's wrong. That's how bodies work. Even more so, what happens when there's an injury? If you get a sliver in your foot, for example, how much fun is it trying to pull a sliver out of your foot with your foot? One of my children, who's here this morning, loves playing outside and does not love wearing shoes. And unfortunately for this child, in between our back door and our backyard was the deck. And the deck was covered with chipboard that after years of exposure to the rain, all the parts that are supposed to be this way were that way. And so after a few hours of playing, this poor child could barely walk. And we would spend the evening pulling out sliver after sliver after sliver, right? Yep. Eventually we decided either we need a new deck or we need to teach our child how to wear shoes and only one of these is a realistic possibility. (laughs) Even a small injury to the body can cause a pronounced suffering of the whole. Whether it's a sliver in your foot or whether it's an earache, 
When one part suffers, the whole body can be affected. The body is not just for fulfilling a function out there that we can all just do independently. The body is for serving itself in here to maintain health and unity. When we work together, like any healthy body, we will build ourselves up into the image determined by our head. And in this section, Paul is giving a little foreshadowing of what will be the topic of the entire next chapter, love. A mutual honoring of the members will result in a mutual love between the members, and that then brings the problem Paul began with full circle. It takes people who were standing there looking at other parts of the body and saying, why are you here? And now they're saying, how can I help? It takes people who were saying, I have no need of you. And now they're saying, let's grow together. And I do think our church is working hard on living this out. And I am thankful for that. I'm thankful for the ways in which I see people throughout our church body ministering in so many ways, so many of which are unseen with joy and with faithfulness, serving because they love the body and they love Christ, the head of the body, and they are content in what God has gifted them to do in the body. And I pray that that will continue and it will as we are diligent to train our hearts to love Christ and to value every member that he has assembled, whatever he has called them to do. A great aid to this is our life group ministry. Our life groups are that fantastic place where we can learn to care for one another, explore our giftedness, learn how to use our diversity in unity. Because let's face it, Sunday morning, we don't have the time and the opportunity to get to know every member, to care for every member, to answer every member's question. But our life groups is a context where that can happen. And so as we often do, I would encourage you, if Valley Bible Church is your home, and you are not currently in a life group, would you please give it close consideration how that could perhaps be a priority for you, if at all possible? Because do not underestimate your importance to this body. There is no such thing as a dishonorable body part, but there is such a thing as a dysfunctional body part. Every part is helpful, but not every part is healthy. We were designed to be around each other and caring for each other so that the mission of Jesus Christ can be accomplished through us as a unified body. And when we start going solo, we quickly fall into bad hygiene or injury and we need the body's help. How we do individually directly impacts how we do collectively. And that brings us to Paul's last applications in our text this morning where Paul's going to pull the whole church together and remind them in two ways of what they all share in common and how this is the expression of the reality of them being one body together. And so in verse 26, he reminds them that we all share one experience. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. The body shares suffering and success alike. Uh, Just take Sunday morning as an example. Uh, If our sound team is suffering and unable to serve, then the pastor may have a God-honoring message, but nobody will hear it. For the third time, would you demonstrate the importance of our sound team? And now you can tell how important that is because only the first two rows chuckled. 
We need each other. Or take this. Suppose a visitor comes and and participates in our Sunday school program and they hear the good news about Jesus Christ and they even come to trust and believe in that good news and become a Christian, one who is a follower of Jesus Christ. The rejoicing is not just for the teacher who shared the gospel with that student, but it is also for those who helped to build our overflow parking lot so that that family actually had a place to park so that they could be a part of our worship gathering today. When one part of the body suffers, the whole body suffers. When one part of the body rejoices, the whole body rejoices because we are all contributing together to the life of the body. And that's so much more than just what takes place on Sundays. It is what is going on in our lives and in our ministries and our families and in our workplaces throughout the week and wherever God sends us. Similarly, unrepentant sin in the life of one believer is felt by the whole body as acutely as a sliver in the foot makes the whole body limp. And so when we encourage one another, when we share what's going on and confess to one another and support one another and see spiritual growth and repentance, it is not just for the joy of that individual, but it is for the rejoicing of the whole body Because in a church, there isn't just a person who has a problem. It is a body who is hurting. The experience of the Christian life is not just an individual experience. It is a collective experience. And that collective experience that Paul has just described stems from where Paul will close today, our collective identity. Look at verse 27. We share one experience and we share one identity. Now, You are Christ's body and individually members of it. I said last service, if you're from the South, you can read that now. Y'all are Christ's body. And then somebody corrected me that that's not good enough. So if you're from the deep South, now all y'all are Christ's body and individually members of it. This is the duality of God's people. I am a unique individual with unique gifts unique weaknesses, unique responsibilities, a unique relationship with God through Jesus Christ, my Savior. And, not but, and I am but one part of a larger thing that Jesus Christ is doing, the body of Christ, the church. There is such diversity in this body. There is such diversity even here at Valley Bible Church. But as Paul reminds us, we have but one head, Jesus Christ. We were baptized by but one Spirit, the Holy Spirit. And we share one experience together because we have been linked together into one body. And that's why Paul tells the Corinthians here, our individual commitment to the body as a member, leads to our mutual honoring of all the members and their functions. And that mutual honoring of one another is what undergirds our true Christian unity. And when we experience that true Christian unity, bounded and held together by love, then we have a healthy body. And that brings us then to our time around the Lord's table this morning. And I'd invite you to begin to prepare your elements, if you would. And I want to center center our time around the Lord's table on an exhortation 
from this passage to to examine our attitudes and our hearts towards the body. If you recall when Paul dealt with the issue of communion in the church there in Corinth, this issue where you had those who were meeting earlier and having these fancy feasts and excluding the poor in the church, Paul said you are, through that kind of division, through that kind of judgment, functionally despising members of the body of Christ. And he warned them that they should not be so bold as to celebrate their union with Christ while they were displaying division in his body. And I think it's good for us to pause and to examine our hearts and make sure that we would not repeat the same mistake. And so to guide our thoughts on this, I'd invite you to listen to the words of Paul as he writes to the church in Colossae. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 12, I'll read this passage and then invite us just to spend a couple moments in silent prayer asking God to search our hearts and how we view the body so that we would be rightly oriented to one another and thereby able to partake of communion in a worthy manner. Paul writes Colossians 3, beginning in verse 12, So, as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved. That's what God's done for us in Christ. You can't change that. You can't affect that. Flowing out of that, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let's take a moment, and then I'll close us with prayer, and we'll take the elements together. Our Father, we do want to express gratitude to you for calling us to be in one body as those you have chosen, as those who through faith in Jesus Christ have been declared holy and beloved. And yet, Lord, you only too well know the weaknesses, the differences, the sin, the divisions, that are ever present in a fallen world. I pray that you would give us eyes not fixed on those things, but fixed on our head, Jesus Christ. And even as we remember again the sacrifice of Christ in the taking of this communion, would we be reminded that because of who he is, we have an unshakable and unshaken foundation for our love 
from you and for you and our love for one another as well. And so even though this is a place that is imperfect, may it be a place characterized by constant repentance, constant growth, constant encouragement, constant honoring and loving of one another, a slow and steady building up ever towards the image of the one who died for us. In whose name we pray, amen. We cannot take of the symbol of Christ's love for us and the forgiveness we have through that and maintain any right not to forgive and love any other part of his body to whom he has also extended grace. And so in our eating and our taking together, let us remind ourselves of our gratitude to Christ and also our responsibilities to his body. Let's take together. A resource I meant to highlight earlier at our information counter, we do have a pamphlet. If you're saying, I want to know where I can start serving and get involved, there's all kinds of opportunities and ministries in here. If you pray through this and you find the intersection of your joy and your giftedness, call, email, and say, hey, I'd love to help serve. But I also want to encourage you, you may look through this and say, there's an obvious need here, but nobody's doing it, so I guess the church doesn't need me. That might be why you're here. It's because you see something we don't even know, we don't even know we need. So this is a pl great place to get started. Otherwise, life groups. But we must end putting our attention back where it belongs. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. And God's people said, amen. Would you stand and we'll close in song.